Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and a stone that causes men to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This reading comes from 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 25. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honour the king. Slaves, submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. 
When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to those who, to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. We're used to thinking of Christianity as one of the great world religions. That in itself was quite remarkable, given that it all starts with the founder of the movement being crucified on a cross. But would people in the ancient world have looked on followers of Jesus as members of a new fledgling religion? The answer is probably not, because Christians lacked the hallmark of every known religion in the ancient world, which was a temple for their God to live in, and a priesthood to serve him in that temple by offering sacrifices. In that setting and culture, every religion had a temple. A religion without a temple was a contradiction in terms. Religion was centred on worship and sacrifice. That was what temples were for. But Christians didn't sacrifice any animals. And the early followers of Jesus didn't erect temples in his honour. In that respect, they were an anomaly. People looking at them wouldn't have thought this is a new religious movement at all. In fact, they were accused of being atheists because not only did they not have any temples of their own, they didn't worship at anybody else's temple either. That was one of the reasons why they were so unpopular. In those superstitious days, if anything went wrong, the first thought was, what have we done to upset the gods? And if there was a group of people who were opting out of mainstream religion, the natural inclination was to say, they're the ones who've upset the gods because they're not going to the temples and offering sacrifices like everybody else's. If the gods weren't happy, the obvious reason for their unhappiness was that there were these Christians who weren't worshipping the gods as they were supposed to. So the blame for any misfortune tended to wind up at the door of Christians because they weren't perceived as being religious. They were perceived as being a-religious. And as such, you're in danger of antagonising the traditional religious gods. That setting may form part of the background to what Peter's on about when he tells the believers that you are being built into a spiritual house to serve God as a royal priesthood. If you have a tidy mind, that feels like a clumsy mixing of metaphors. You want to know, look, are we a house or are we a set of priests? Which is it? Surely it can't be both at the same time. At least that's the way my mind works. Wouldn't it be clearer to say either we're priests or we're a temple? But Peter kind of fudges the two together. Why create that kind of confusion? Well, it may be that the absence of a temple and the absence of a priesthood were real barriers to people understanding what Christians were all about. You say you, you worship God, but you don't have a temple. You don't, even in Jerusalem, you don't recognise the temple there. You don't have any priests to make sacrifices to him on your behalf. What kind of religion is that? And Peter says, well, actually, it's the kind of religion where we are the temple. And all of us are priests. And we gather together to worship and we offer spiritual sacrifices to God. 
There were small groups on the fringes of Judaism that thought that kind of way. But they still kind of based themselves on the temple in Jerusalem and lived by the sacrificial system taking place there. Christianity was a little bit unique in this respect. No, we're, we're all a temple, we're all priests, and we offer spiritual sacrifices. So we don't need a big temple for Jesus to live in because Jesus actually is himself the foundation stone of our temple. And those of us who believe and put our trust in him, we are like living stones built alongside him together, forming a temple with him as the cornerstone, the foundation stone. Our temple isn't built out of bricks and mortar. It's made out of people who once were stone dead but now have been brought to life with Christ. Ours is a living temple made out of living stones. We're living stones just as Jesus himself is the living stone. And if that causes problems or difficulties for you, then what's happening is that you are stumbling over the rock of Christ. Because either you make Jesus the cornerstone of your life, and allow him to incorporate you into the spiritual temple that he's building, or you're going to trip over that rock that's lying in your way, and he's going to become the cause of your ultimate downfall. Either you build with Christ, or you fall over Christ. It's one or the other. You either base your life on him, or you lose your life without him. But if you decide to put your trust in him, if you make him the foundation stone of your life, then you will never be put to shame. He will never let you down. So as Christians, Peter says, no, we don't have a temple because we are the temple. As we are united with Christ, the one in whom we put our trust. And wherever Christians meet, that is the place where God lives. Someone's home, in a meeting house, in an upper room, in a place of worship somewhere, in a, in a, in a local town hall, the equivalent of where we meet. That's our temple. Jesus is the living stone. We, like living stones, are built into a temple. God lives in us. Jesus is also our king. He's Lord. Jesus is also our high priest. He's the one who puts us right with God. He's the one through whom we have access to God. And just like Jesus is a living stone and makes us living stones, so if Jesus is king, we reign with him, and if Jesus is our high priest, we're priests with him. That's what makes us a royal priesthood, because Jesus has identified with us and become one with us. We are identified with him, and if he's a king and a priest, then we are royal priests as well, by virtue of our association with him. That's the effect of the incarnation. Jesus becomes one of us. Jesus becomes one with us. And so what is true of him becomes true of us as well. He makes us a living stone like him. He makes us priests like him. He's our king. He enables us to reign with him. He makes us sons of God as he is. He makes us a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood is how God described his people when he brought them out of Egypt into the wilderness. Of all the nations in the world, he said to the people of Israel, you, you will be my treasured possession. Though the whole earth is mine, you will be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation to me. 
And later in Isaiah, he tells his people not to keep looking over their shoulder at the past, remembering what went on before. Look, he says, I'm doing something new. I'm making a way in the desert and streams in the wasteland to give my chosen people something to drink because they are the people I formed for myself that they might declare my praise. And Peter takes up those names that God gives the people of Israel in the Old Testament and says, that's true of you. If you belong to Jesus, then you are God's chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are people who belong to God. Do you know how God sees you? Do you know what God thinks of you? Small groups of vulnerable, insignificant Christians living in danger on the margins of society. You, in the eyes of God, are his chosen people. You, in the eyes of God, are a royal priesthood. You are God's holy nation. You belong to him. Once, once you were nobodies. But now, now you are God's people. And maybe you feel you don't deserve that. Maybe you feel you're not worthy. Well, the truth is, you're not worthy and you don't deserve it. But God has shown you mercy. That's what it's all about. It's not about whether you qualify to be his people or not. It's about God, in his mercy, bringing you to himself and making you his own through Jesus Christ. It is all of grace. It is all of mercy. So all of you here tonight are priests. I don't stand in front of you here on this platform as your priest representing you to God and representing God to you. We all do that for each other. That's what it means for us to be priests together. When I meet you, I meet God in you. When you meet me, it's my hope and prayer that you meet God in me and through me. But that's not because I'm ordained or because there's something specially holy about me, when we meet together as believers, if God lives in each of our hearts, as he does, then we encounter God through meeting each other. That's one of the reasons why it's important to gather together to worship God, because together we are the priesthood of all believers. That's why... If we just worship God by ourselves, in isolation from other Christians, we miss out on a vital part of discipleship. Because when we meet, we are the means not just of encouraging each other and supporting each other, we are the means actually of enabling each other to have an encounter with God through that meeting. It's a deeper dimension of spiritual experience. In our worship during the service, in our conversations with each other, either end of the service, we enable each other to connect with God by meeting together. That's why the content of our ordinary everyday conversation is so important. Peter says we need to shun deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander, all those things that so easily and needlessly make their way into our conversations. Why must those things be cut out? Not just because they are unworthy of priests of the living God, but because they contaminate the pure spiritual milk which enables us all to grow together towards being the people God wants us to be. A spiritual temple for his dwelling place and a royal priesthood so that we encounter God in and through one another. We're all priests. That means we find God in and through each other as we meet together. When I meet you, I look for the presence of God in you. 
when you meet me, you look for the presence of God in me. We bring each other, through Jesus, into the presence of the living God. So let's recognise the responsibility that that places on us. Because if it's important that we meet together, it follows that people who can't meet with us for whatever reason are impoverished in their spiritual work with God because they are isolated from the rest of the body of Christ. So it's incumbent upon us to keep in touch with them, isn't it? To maintain that link. So that they are members of the body of Christ. So they know, yes, they know they're loved by God, but they need to know that they're loved by God through us as well. That's really important, because as, a, as part of the priesthood of all believers, you bring the presence of God to them through the contact that you have with them. So who will you do that for this week? Who will you have a telephone conversation with? Who will you drop a line to or send an email to or, or call around to visit? Because if we're all priests of each other, we all have a responsibility to lift each other up, to represent God to each other, and to bring one another to God in prayer, to pray for each other, to support each other, to be there for each other. An American preacher talked about having a priest at every elbow. All of us together, by standing alongside each other, bringing each other into the presence of God, supporting each other, being there for each other. Being the priest of all believers means that all the time, through our meetings with each other, God is ministering to us through those whom we meet and ministering through us to them. When we come together to worship, we bring each other into the presence of God. That's why coming together is so important. The priesthood of all believers. And as priests, we do offer sacrifices, but our sacrifices are spiritual. Which is just as well for the church cleaners, really, because sacrifice involves a lot of blood and that makes a lot of mess. But Peter says that God has made us royal priests so that we can declare the praises of the one who's called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Priests worship God, and so do we, not with sacrificial animals, but with words spoken, sung, or thoughts that originate in the depths of our hearts. Worship of God is no formal duty for us. We respond to who God is and what he's done for us. And as we emerge from the darkness of death into the warmth and light of the love of God... That sense of well-being that you get through that experience, reflect that back to God and express it in the words that you offer him in praise and worship. Because we respond to God's love and grace and life-giving power. And we don't just worship God with what we say, we worship him by how we live in the nitty-gritty, ordinary, everyday life. When life is tough, and it frequently was tough for those early Christians, and it often is for us today as well, the attitude we show in encountering adversity becomes part of the spiritual worship we offer to God. So living a good life, being a good advert for Jesus by how you live, is also an act of worship. Showing integrity at every level. Not having double standards. That's an act of spiritual worship. Engaging with other people is an act of worship as well. We love each other. We fear God. We honour not just the king and those in authority over us, but everyone we meet. Our daily encounters with other people are acts of worship to God. 
when things go wrong, when our boss is harsh and unreasonable, when we are treated unfairly, how we respond to those situations is an act of worship. All of our lives offered in worship to Jesus our King, the one who calls the shots, the one who lifts us up to reign with him so that we choose to be subject to the authorities, so that we're not overwhelmed by our circumstances. But as royal priests, we know who we are in God's sight and we live that out in practice. I said earlier that Jesus became one of us, he became one with us to make us one with him. Like him, we're living stones. Like him, we are priests because he's our great high priest. We reign with him because he is Lord. But equally, let's recognise that as he suffered, we may be called to pay a price for following him as well. Look, says Peter, look at how Jesus responded to the ill treatment that was dealt out to him. He did that as an example to you. He didn't retaliate. He didn't return like for like by way of threats or wrongdoing. He entrusted himself to God. And you need to be aware of God in your everyday life, of his presence with you, of your identity as one of his people, and allow that knowledge of who you are and who you represent to determine how you live, not to be pushed around by other people's demands or circumstances or just just carried hither and thither all the time, but to say, no, under Jesus, God is in charge of my life. And I live my life for him. And that's not easy. But whoever said the Christian life was an easy option? You won't find that message anywhere on the pages of the New Testament. Following Jesus is tough from beginning to end, but there is no higher calling. There is no greater privilege than living your life in the company of believers as one of those called to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation, one of God's own people. We worship him because of who he is and what he's made us to be. We stand shoulder to shoulder with each other as priests, representing God to each other, bringing each other into the presence of God in prayer. We reign with Jesus in our ordinary, everyday lives because it's him we live for. He is the one in whom we put our trust. He is the one for whom we live every single day. That, that is our spiritual worship. That's what we offer to God as the royal priests he's made us to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that you have made us a kingdom and priests to serve you. Enable us to live out that identity in practice. to live under your lordship and not any other authority. To live as people of your kingdom and as people of your kingdom to serve one another. Thank you that you've made us priests. Thank you that we we are all together in this, that we find you in a fresh way when we meet together. 
Enable us to recognise and welcome your presence in others and by your grace may others find your presence in us. Bind us to one another. Bind us to yourself. And when those who do not know you look at us, may they see your people. May we represent you to them. May they see you in and through us. May they see and practice what it means to live as people of your kingdom. Enable us to live lives of such integrity and honesty. Your priorities being our priorities. That through us they see you. Their criticisms are silenced. And they're drawn into your presence to worship you as their God and Lord as well. For we ask this, Jesus, in your name and for your sake. Amen.